And so, like Cody said, we're continuing our study through Ephesians, and we've been calling this study Finding Your Purpose. And so we've been, we've been going through that for the last couple of weeks, and that'll take us all the way through summer. But tonight, we're going to be finishing out Ephesians chapter 1. So go ahead and turn with me there if you haven't already. Um, and if you remember from last week, we, we talked about how Jesus has purchased us with a specific purpose in mind. He purchased us so that we could be the sons of God, worshipers of him, destined to be conformed to the image of Christ. We talked about how even though our redemption isn't quite complete yet, it is completely sure and secured. Um, and it's secured because he gives us the Holy Spirit to seal us, and he proves that security to us by giving us the Holy Spirit. And so even though our bodies aren't redeemed yet, and that'll happen when we meet Jesus face to face, our redemption is secure in him. And we talked about the fact that once we're redeemed, we become part of his body, a part of his church. And we talked about our, internal inheritance, our eternal inheritance in him and how we should let that drive us to serve him with our lives right now. Well, this week, we're talking about some things that we need to make sure we understand in light of the fact uh, that we belong to him. So, so we're, this, tonight's just kind of building on what we talked about last week. Our passage tonight actually contains seven different prayer points that Paul discusses in relation to the nature of the church members that he described in our passage last week. So if you weren't here last week, real quick, read, read like the first uh, 14 verses of chapter 1 and try to catch up. Um, but you're, you're going to want to start to do that now. Like if you're not at verse 6 yet, you're going to be late because I'm going to read verses 15 through 23 here in a minute. But... Because of the fact that church members, uh, because of the fact that the church members he's writing to have that eternity secure and that inheritance and that destiny secure in him, well, Paul has some things that he's praying for them, and, and we'll see those seven things that he's praying for them, and then he'll discuss some of the practical ramifications of that inheritance and that destiny. So, hopefully, if you weren't here last week, you're caught up, because I'm going to start reading in verse 15. It says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of our glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So let's pray and we can dig in. God, I thank you so much um, again for, for the things that we've been talking about through Ephesians chapter 1. The fact that you've offered us, you've offered us the deal of a lifetime. You've offered us the exchange of our petty sinful life for your glorious eternal life. And you've made us secure in you because of our willingness to accept that. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that, and we just pray that as we dig into these things tonight, we'll just understand a little bit more about that and build on what we learned last week and just go out of here ready uh, and more motivated to serve you than ever before. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so because of the things we discussed last week, Paul has some things for us to understand this week. These are just some things that we need to get. 
Sure, we talked about the purpose of Jesus purchasing us, purchasing us last week, but we're talking about that again tonight, just to make sure that we get the point. And that's the title of the message, I think. Yeah, get the point. So, let's get the point. The first things we need to understand are the points of prayer, and that's what we see in verses 15 through 19. And again, like I said, there's seven points of prayer if you track through what Paul is asking for and what Paul is praying for. He says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is his exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And so we're just going to go through each one of these seven different things that he's praying for here so that we can understand just a little bit more about the implications that come along with our destiny of being totally redeemed in the Lord. It's going to be some real simple stuff tonight, but this is stuff that you don't want to miss. This is stuff that you don't want to miss, um, not just in, in your knowledge, but in your life. And so as we, as we go through these things, don't be shocked. Don't, don't walk out of here mad if you don't learn anything new. But man, pay attention to what the Lord's trying to do in your life with, with what he's showing to us tonight. And so let's start with the first point of prayer in verse 16, and that's to give thanks. Paul says in verse 16, he ceases not to give thanks for them, making mention of them in his prayers. Paul give, gives thanks for them, for the sons of God in the church. And that's such a simple thing, but we need to not miss that because that's where he starts. If you're saved, you're a son of God. You have an eternal inheritance that ends with you being completely and totally redeemed from sin, and that's something to be thankful for. So when it comes to how we approach the Lord, especially in prayer, it just makes sense for us to be thankful. Because if you step back and examine your life, you have a lot to be thankful for, regardless of what your circumstances are or what situation you find yourself in. That's what Philippians 4, 6 says. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You can see similar stuff in other verses. Regardless of what our circumstances might be, whether, whether we're, we're having it easy or having it difficult, we can give thanks to the Lord for what he's done for us and what he's doing for us even now. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He's given us a destiny greater than anything that we're going to go through in this life. So approaching the Lord with an attitude of thanksgiving, it just makes sense. It helps us keep things in perspective. But also notice that, that Paul was thanking the Lord for these people specifically. He said he ceased not to give thanks for them. So we ought to keep that same attitude of thanksgiving for the people around us. 1 Thessalonians 1-2 says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Do you pray for the people around you? Because praying for the people around you will only help you keep them in perspective as well. Because if they're saved, they're sons of God too. And that means they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. So being thankful for them just helps us remember that. It helps us remember who they are in relation to us. But giving thanks is just the first point of prayer that Paul mentions here. And we got six more to go through. The second one is letter B, to seek wisdom. And that's what we see in verse 17 when he tells them that he's asking God to give them the spirit of wisdom. And if you study wisdom throughout the Bible, you'll quickly learn that wisdom is something that only comes from the Lord. Um, look at what the Lord tells Moses in Exodus 28, verse 3. He says, And thou shalt speak unto 
all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, and that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So God filled these guys with the spirit of wisdom. So if you're expecting wisdom, well, you need to expect it from the place that it comes from. You have to expect it from the Lord because he's the only source of true wisdom. He has to fill you with the spirit of wisdom. So asking the Lord for his wisdom is really the only logical thing to do if you want wisdom. You can see the same thing was true of Moses' successor in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, as did, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So again, Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. So seek wisdom from the only place you can find it. Seek it from the Lord. Ask him for it and let him give it to you by spending time in his word, which goes hand in hand with this next point of prayer. That's letter C, seek knowledge. Also in verse 17, Paul asks that God gives them revelation in the knowledge of him. So in addition to seeking wisdom, we also need to seek knowledge, specifically the knowledge of him. And again, the knowledge of him can only come from him. So ask him for it and seek it from his word because that's where it comes from. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. That's the thing about the knowledge of him. It's, the, it's that knowledge that gives us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. It's everything we need. The knowledge of the Lord is sufficient for us. It's what we need to live our lives and serve him properly. All we have to do is ask him for it and seek it from his word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you want knowledge? Study. Pull that knowledge out for yourself. Approach the Lord, asking him to give you that knowledge, as well as the wisdom on how to use it. He's the, only, he's the only one we can get that from, and he'll answer that prayer because that's what he wants for us. You're a son of God now, so start learning from your father and using his knowledge in your life. And with that, you can also jump into the next prayer point, letter D, seek to open your eyes. And that's what we see in verse 18 when Paul prays that their eyes of understanding would be opened. And that's something we should be seeking as well. We should want God to open our eyes. We should, see, we should want to see things the way God sees them. We should want to understand things the way he understands them. Psalm 18, 28 says, for, for thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. So ask God to light your candle. Ask him to help you see. His word is the lamp to your feet and the light to your path. Ask him to use that in your life and then open the Bible and let it get into your life so you can see things the way God sees them from his perspective. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Real understanding comes from him. He gives the understanding. So seek it from him because he can help you understand what you need to know. 2 Timothy 2.7 says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So ask the Lord to open your eyes to his way of seeing, his way of understanding. Because if we really want to serve him, we need to have his perspective. We need to have his perspective on life, on people, on situations, on decisions. So ask him, for, ask him to open your eyes. Ask him to help you see. And then letter E, seek to know the hope of his calling. And that's what we see in verse 18. 
And this prayer point gets at what we talked about last week. The Lord saved us for a purpose, and he called us to that purpose. We talked about that last week. But we need to understand the hope of that calling. And we even talked about that last week, too. We're sons of God, and that comes with a lot of hope for our future and a lot of purpose for our present. So we need to ask the Lord to remind us of that calling and remind us of that hope that it brings to keep us motivated in our present ministry. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who hath saved us and called us with unholy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He's the one who called us. He's the one who gave us that hope. He's the one who gives us our identity as redeemed beings, as sons of God. So we ought to seek him and how we can better live up to that life as a son of God that he called us to be. We need to pray for that motivation. No matter what we might be going through, no matter what difficulty we might be facing, God wants glory from our lives. So let's, let's take hope in, in, in what he's given us and what he's promised us so that we can continue serving him no matter what comes our way. Romans 5, 3-5 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which was given unto us. So man, you want hope in your life? You want hope in your calling? Allow the Lord to send you through tribulation. Allow that to build patience in you. Allow that patience to build that experience and then use that experience to continue hoping in the Lord. So when we approach the Lord with the right attitude about what he's called us to do, we're just better equipped to get through the difficult situations that he allows in our lives. And we can find hope in him because of what he's promised us. And that goes hand in hand with the next prayer point, letter F, seek to understand your inheritance. And we also see that in verse 18. And again, we have a reference to what we talked about last week, uh, specifically to our inheritance. Remember, God's given us an inheritance in fully being redeemed as the sons of God. We saw that in detail last week. And as a reminder, um, I'll read Ephesians 1 verse 11. It says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And so if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a son of God with an inheritance from your father, but he gives us the first part of that immediately. And we saw that in Ephesians 1.14, which says, which is the earnest of our inheritance, talking about the Holy Spirit, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. And so we saw that the Holy Spirit is just the earnest of our inheritance. It's the first part. It's the proof that our inheritance is real. Well, here, Paul asked the Lord that, that the saints know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And that just means we need to keep in mind the things we talked about last week. That no matter how much you have in this life, what your life might look like, you have an eternal inheritance with him and, and he's promised you some things that can't be taken away. We need to understand that inheritance and what it means for our lives today. 1 Peter 1.4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So nothing can take that inheritance away from us. It's sure. It's secure. So we ought to live that way and serve the Lord with our lives now as best we can because like we talked about last week, God will give us what we need to serve him effectively. He gives us his Holy Spirit as proof of that. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So whether you feel rich in this life or not, God 
makes us rich in letting us be sons of God. But he does that for his glory. So we ought to use the richness he equips us with to that end. And and I'm obviously not just talking about material richness. You have access to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we'll, we'll get to that. He gives us a lot, whether or not you see it or feel it right away. And so in case that's not clear, Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of, his, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, the God of the universe lives inside of you. Understand that for what it is. It's a gift. It's an inheritance. And it's proof of, of all the things that he's promised us. So understand how 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 great that is, and allow the glory of the Lord to live out in your life. The God of the universe decides to live inside of us when we put our faith and trust in him, so whether or not you feel like it, you are very rich. Ask God to remind you of that. Ask God to help you appreciate that fact so you can use it to be motivated to serve him with the new life that he gave you. And the final prayer point is letter G, seek to know his power. And that's what we see in verse 19. Paul wanted them to know the exceeding greatness of his power. And that's really a summation of everything up to this point. Because the only reason we can have God's wisdom, the only reason we can have God's knowledge, the only reason we can have God's understanding, the only reason we can even be called by him, let alone have hope in that, the only reason we can have an inheritance, let alone understand the the richness of that, The only reason we can do any of those things is because he is powerful. He made a way to restore his image in us. He offered Jesus Christ to purchase us, and through that sacrifice, he offers us access to that power. And we need to never let ourselves forget that. Matthew 6.13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Man, if you let yourself forget that that all the power in the universe rests with the Lord, life's going to get tough. Life's going to get scary. We would do well to remember that as we approach him in prayer. If we can approach him in prayer and remember that, look, I'm, I'm talking to the most powerful being in the universe right now, and he's listening to me because he's actually living inside of me, and he's a part of me, and I'm a part of him. That'll change the way you pray. Mark 13, 26 talks about Jesus at his second coming, it says, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The power of the Lord is only going to become more evident as time goes on. Just wait till he comes back. But even in this life, he gives us access to his power. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So with his spirit comes power. And, and, And approaching him in prayer while keeping that power in mind Well, it helps humble us, but it also helps focus our prayers on asking him to do what only he can do. Because if we're trusting the Lord to use our life, we ought to be trusting him to use our life to accomplish something that we wouldn't be able to accomplish on our own. And so let that change the way you pray, because he's incredibly powerful. And Paul goes on in the rest of this chapter to explain that power in point number two, the points of power. And that's what we see in verses 20 through 23. Um, I'll read those again. It says, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. 
And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So Paul examines the power of Christ from three different perspectives that we'll see in this, in these chunk of, in this chunk of verses. Um, and, and it reminds us of his power in three different ways. And the first and most obvious example is what we see in verse 20. That's letter A, his resurrection. Paul reminds us that Christ was raised from the dead and, and though, as though that's something we need to be reminded of. But the thing is, most Christians need to be reminded of that. Because, you know, Jesus was alive on the earth 2,000 years ago now. A lot of times, it might seem like he's just some storybook character. But Jesus is real. He's very real. He's God in human flesh. He lived a sinless life. He became a human being, lived a sinless life, something nobody else has ever done. Had a, had a great ministry, went through a torturous death to pay for our sins, and then rose from the grave three days later. And if that's not power, I don't know what is. Look at what, look at what he says in Revelation 1.18. Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. So yeah, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and that's great, but, but, but my dude didn't stay dead. He got back up. Not even death has power over him. Not even hell has power over him. The resurrection of Jesus makes him the most powerful being who's ever lived. Ain't nobody else walking out of their graves after three days. That's power. And again, that's power that he passes on to us because he gives us that same power, and that's what's so incredible. He gives us the power over death. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You get victory over death because he has the power over death. That's the cool part about being the Son of God. Your inheritance is power. You have power over death because Jesus gives you power over death. Meaning death and hell no longer have any power over you either. Revelation 20 verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So man, don't let yourself forget that. Don't let yourself that the God of the universe has power over death, the thing that seems to have power over everyone who ever lives. Well, he's got power over that, and he gives us that power too. And if hell and death don't have power over you, what, what possibly could? That's the power that Jesus has. That's the power he offers to us. That's the power that his resurrection points us to. But that's not the only thing Paul brings up to point us to his power. He also mentions his authority, and that's letter B. He mentions his authority in verses 20 through 22 because after Jesus rose from the dead, well, he was sat down at the right hand of God. And he's sitting at the right hand of God. That's, that's authority. He was set above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. That's authority. All things were put under his feet and he was made the head over all things. That's authority. Jesus Christ was given authority over everything because of what he did for us. So not only did he deserve that just because he was the God of the universe, but he also earned that because of what he chose to do for us. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 say, say, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, which in and of itself is, 
incredible to think that the God of the universe humbled himself to that point that he was allow himself to be hung naked on a cross and beaten and, and, and whipped and everything else that happened and killed. Verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So sure, he humbled himself, but he doesn't have to stay humble either because he's been exalted. He's been given a name that's above every name. Verse 10, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the level of authority and power that Jesus wields. And even though he came humbly the first time, he's not going to come humbly the second time because he's going to come wielding all the authority and might that God has given to him. Revelation 19, I'll just read verses 11 through 16, but you can read a lot of those last few chapters and see what happens. Um, verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. No one else is even allowed to know what's written on his crown. That's how, that's how cool it is. Um, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress in the fierceness of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vestures and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Does that sound like power to you? Of course it does. Nothing can stand against him, and and he's the one who's on our side. So Paul points to the power of Christ using his resurrection. He points to the power of Christ using his authority. And third, he points to the power of Christ using his body. And that's letter C. And his body is called out by name here. It's the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And so this isn't his human body. It, at least it's not his singular human body that he had when he was here. This is his plural human body that's made up of every believer who's ever lived that placed their faith and trust in him. It's the body that includes you and me. This is the body that we become a part of when we get saved. It's what we talked about last week. This is the body that he purchased when he died on the cross. If you remember from last week, we looked at Acts 20, 28, which says, Take heed thereto unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He purchased this body, and, and, and this is the body that he gave power to in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts or uttermost part of the earth. So you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you an inheritance. You get the first part of that inheritance is the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but with the Holy Spirit comes power because now you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Now you're equipped to serve the Lord together with other believers. And he gives us access to that power. He gave that Holy Ghost to us and that means he gave his power to us. Power to reach the world while he's not here physically. That's the only reason we're able to even accomplish anything for him. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5 say, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
So man, the more you understand the power of the Lord and the more you understand the power that Jesus Christ wields and that he can wield in your life, the more faith you're gonna have because that's where your faith needs to be. Your faith needs to be in his power that he earned and deserved because of what he did. The fact that we can even accomplish anything for him only points to his power and brings glory to, get, brings glory to him. He's made us something by saving us and giving us his spirit. That's his power in our lives. But he wants us to share that power with others. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we share his power by sharing his gospel with those who need to hear it. And that makes sense because if they hear the gospel and accept it and put their faith and trust in him, well, they get his spirit too. And when they get his spirit, they get his power. And so we share his power by sharing the gospel. You can see something similar in 1 Corinthians 1.18, which says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to them which, but, uh, but, uh, I'm sorry, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Because it is the power of God. It's how we get the power of God. Because you see, Christ is powerful, but he's, the only, but he's, he's only on the earth in a physical way right now because he's purchased himself a body. We are that body. Look, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, his body didn't stick around forever. He ascended back up into heaven and he took that seat on the right hand of the Father. And now we are his body and we've been given a real job to do. We have to represent him to the world until he comes back. And when he comes back, he, he ain't representing in a nice way. He's representing in a, you should have listened while you had the chance way. Um, but until then, he gives us the power to do that job. He gives us the power to be his representatives. We just have to choose to do it. But the fact that we can do it only points to his power because he enables us to do that. Um, Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? So in light of the power of Christ, I, I ask you, what doest thou? What, what are you doing in light of Christ's power in your life? Because the king has given us his word. And where the word of the king is, there's power. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what he's given you? What are you going to do with what he's asked you to do? And that's a good question to wrap up this little section of scripture with tonight. Paul was clear with us tonight that the power of Christ is nothing for us to forget. We have every reminder of his power in the Bible and even in our lives, in our personal testimony of what the Lord's done for us. We just need to keep that power in mind as we approach him in prayer and decide how to live our lives. We need to ask him for the things that we can only get from him. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, hope, glory from our lives, power to serve him effectively. He's the source of power for us but he's given us access to his power. So we just have to go to him for it the way Paul went to him for it when he was praying on behalf of these believers in Ephesus. So if you want to serve the Lord with your life, well, you just simply have to ask him to enable you to do that more and more each day. Go to him in his word and seek the power he's offering to you via the avenues we talked about tonight. I told you tonight was going to be simple, but man, don't miss what God's asking us to do tonight. Pay attention to how you approach him. Pay attention to how you approach ministry. Pay attention to how you approach work tomorrow. Pay attention to how you approach school. Pay attention to how you approach every situation in life. Are you seeing that as an opportunity for the Lord to demonstrate his power in your life and use you to accomplish something more than what you could do on your own? Pay attention to that. 
Allow him to enable you to serve him and allow him to get the glory from your life when you do. Allow your life and your participation in ministry to point others towards him the way, the way Paul pointed us towards him and his power through, through all these different things we talked about tonight. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for, for all the things you've done for us that we clearly don't deserve any of them. Um, man, your grace saw fit to, to offer us the greatest exchange we could ever we could ever imagine. And, and, and the more we study your word about, about salvation and about what happens to us when we get saved and about the eternal inheritance that we get and the, the power that you enable us to have in this life, man, the more grateful we should be. Um, there just seems to be no end to your grace and no end to your mercy in our lives. And so I just pray that as we walk away tonight from your word, I just pray that we'd be humbled. We'd be humbled by, by who you are and and the power that you have and, and the things that you've done to, to earn that power and deserve that power in our lives. And, and I just pray we'd commit our lives to you and we commit everything we are to who you are so that we can bring glory to you and your power can work its way out through us and accomplish something for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.